Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. London today is a bustling metropolis, an exciting place to visit and a somewhat safe place to call home. An eclectic mix of people from all over the world live in London, and the crime rate is dropping year on year. In some parts of this vibrant capital, the crime rate is lower than that of much smaller cities in other parts of the UK. However, things haven't always been so safe. Stories and tales of old have echoed around these streets and grown to become that of legend, particularly those of gruesome nature. Today we'll be exploring one of those stories and discovering about London's often bloody past. My name is Nikki Druce and this is Macabre London. Our homes are sacred, serene capsules of our personalities, a place where we can be our true selves and somewhere to rest our bones at the end of a long day. A home should be just that, homely, but when something happens to cause the balance to shift, the result can be life-changing. For one family in a sleepy London suburb, a set of occurrences were about to happen which would change their lives forever. This time on Macabre London, we're investigating the case of the Enfield haunting. Enfield in North London was once part of Middlesex, but as London spread and grew into the surrounding outer countryside, it too became part of the sprawling metropolis. 
Enfield became part of London in 1965, and with its inception into the city, it became a cheaper alternative to increasingly pricey city centre rent hikes, benefiting from easy commutable links to work. As well as being part of London, Enfield still retained its small town feel. Communities were maintained, people tended to stay put in the suburb, and people actually knew the people that lived on their street. Just like any small village, gossip travels, and the recent scandal of Peggy Hodgson, a 47-year-old mother of four, having gone through a bitter divorce as a result of her husband's adultery, was fairly shocking for the time, and no doubt caused some rumours to flourish on the council estate where she lived. It was August 1977, and at 284 Green Street, the children living in the house, Margaret, 13, Janet, 12, John, 11, and Billy, 7, were nearing the end of their summer break from school. Life at home was fairly unsettled during the school months for the family, as John, the eldest brother, boarded at school, leaving the rest of the children together to attend the same school, which probably didn't help with any feelings of alienation at home. Neighbours around the Hodgson's home were aware of how difficult the situation was for the family, and pitched in where they could. Being in government-assisted housing with only one income to live off and many mouths to feed wouldn't have been easy for Mum Peggy, but the kids seemed to be fairly happy, even if they did have to survive on the occasional handout from others. On the evening of August the 30th, the children were put to bed by Peggy at around 9.30, while she made her way downstairs to relax for the evening. After a short while, Peggy heard noises coming from upstairs, and expecting to find the children playing or arguing, she ventured to put the kids back to bed. As she opened the door, all of the children were huddled on one bed, watching the chest of drawers from the end of the room shuffle slowly across the floor. Peggy, being logical about the situation, thought that the drawers had moved for some unknown reason, and tried to push them back into place. The drawers stood stock still, and couldn't be moved back. It was then the knocking started. Bemused by the happenings in the children's bedroom, Peggy went next door to speak to her neighbour Vic and his wife, who was also called Peggy. Suspecting something might be happening with the home's plumbing, thinking Vic, who was a builder, may be able to help shed some light on the noises, after a thorough look around the home, Vic couldn't find anything that may be causing the noise and was as bemused as the rest of the family. After more loud knocking, Peggy and Vic decided to call the people who we rely on when we need to feel safe in an unfamiliar situation, the police. Two officers attended the house and had a thorough look around, but couldn't find anything untoward either. One police officer did witness some activity, saying that she saw a chair being dragged across the floor. It um, came off the floor, or nearly a half inch, I should say, and I saw it slide off to the right, about three and a half to four feet before it came to rest. Um, I checked to see whether or not it could possibly have slid along the floor. I placed a marble on the floor to see whether or not the marble would um, go in the same direction as the chair did, and it didn't. It didn't roll at all. Um, I checked for wires under the cushion of the chair, and I could find no explanation at all. Without much else the police could do, as no crime had been committed and the perpetrator couldn't be seen to be arrested, Peggy called the paper to see if she might be able to find someone to help her and the family get a decent night's sleep. Graham Morris was a journalist for the newspaper, The Daily Mirror. After receiving Peggy's call in the evening, Graham arranged to visit the house later on the same night, 
having been intrigued and sensing there may be a small puff-piece story to be extracted from the situation, but he got slightly more than he bargained for. Shortly after arriving at midnight at the home, Graham was welcomed into the house by a rather nervous Peggy, and shown into the kitchen where he had a cup of tea, and the family regaled him with the events they'd witnessed so far. After some time and not much appearing to happen, Graham decided to leave, but was halfway down the garden path when Peggy called him back into the house, saying something had started to happen. Graham entered the kitchen to see Lego bricks and marbles floating and flying around the ceiling, with seemingly nothing touching them or causing them to be there. As Janet, the second eldest of the children, came into the kitchen, Graham said the Lego and marbles became more erratic, and one flew across the room, hitting him with force and causing him to bruise. Alarmed by the situation, the neighbours Vic and Peggy began hiding the cutlery just in case whatever was causing the floating took a liking to throwing knives. After trying to take several photographs and failing to catch the objects in flight as they weren't showing up on film due to their speed, Graham called it a night and left the house, saying he was quite shaken by the ordeal. Over the course of the next few days, after the original activity, the family were growing weary, and after contacting the church, council, and anyone else who may be able to help, the Daily Mirror visited again with two senior journalists. And after they also witnessed the now familiar flying Lego and marbles for themselves, they decided to call in the experts. Maurice Gross from the Society of Psychical Research was particularly interested in the case, and after being presented with the reports from the Daily Mirror and their intention to make the story front-page news, he decided to attend the house to investigate. The Society for Psychical Research was formed in 1882, the oldest research group in existence for studying paranormal and psychic occurrences. With their years of experience in recorded paranormal activity, the Society had never heard of such a large amount of activity, especially in its frequency and diversity, so it made sense to capture the occurrences for posterity. Morris first visited the house in September 1977 and continued to visit the Hodgsons regularly over the course of the next year, often staking the house out overnight and making hundreds of recordings of the activity. At the beginning of Morris's investigations and after witnessing the sheer amount of activity this one entity had in store for the Hodgson family, Morris decided to call in reinforcements by asking the Society of Psychical Research for backup. Morris was fairly new to investigating paranormal cases, having only just recently joined the SPR after his daughter's unexpected death as a result of a road traffic accident. Morris had said that his daughter had tried to make contact with his family after her death, and so he joined the society as he wanted to further his interest. The SPR reached out to one of its members, Guy Lyon Playfair, who was an author and specialist in the paranormal, having written several pieces and books on the subject. He agreed to step in and help Morris with the investigation. As the pair visited the family, they started to make records of the events that took place, along with Mum Peggy also making her own records when the two weren't there. The attention of Guy and Morris soon turned towards the two girls inside the house. Margaret and Janet were just a year apart from each other in age, and both were very close, drawing even closer since their parents' divorce. Morris noted that when Margaret and Janet were together, the activity of moving furniture, marbles and other flying objects became worse. When speaking to Peggy, Morris and Guy explained that they thought the only explanation for the activity they'd seen was a poltergeist, 
Being uneducated in the paranormal, Peggy didn't understand what a poltergeist was, and Guy and Morris explained it was a ghostly being who had the ability to move things. Obviously upset by this, Peggy didn't know what to do next, but agreed to Morris and Guy continuing to investigate the occurrences at the house with a the hope their presence may help to calm things. That was when things started to get worse. The poltergeist seemingly started to use Janet as a conduit for its malevolent activities. If Janet was in a room, it wouldn't be long before something nearby would happen. Trainers flew across the room, fires started, and the knocks and tapping only got louder and more violent. On one occasion, several witnesses saw a sofa levitate before being flipped upside down, and the toilet was heard flushing when no one else was near it. After the knocking was known to be the main communication for the poltergeist, Morris and Guy decided to see if they could communicate with the entity for the first time. Why are you in this house? You shouldn't really be here. You understand that, do you? You understand that you really shouldn't be in this house. You do understand you shouldn't be in this house. You do. That was, again, two knocks. It's now doing the rat tat 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 tat. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Are you having a game with me? Oh, oh right. Oh, as I ask the as I ask the question, are you having a game with me? It's through it's through the the cardboard box and the pillow right on my face. Well, thank you very much. That was a very good answer. To a sceptic, the knocks could be easily explained, someone knocking on the floor from the room above or below, or tapping on something in the room. This seems to be the logical explanation, if the knocks weren't heard, coming from the ceiling one minute, the floor the next, and the walls afterwards. A routine even the most deft athlete would be hard-pressed to run around to complete. One evening the family were watching TV when they heard a dog barking in the living room, followed by whistling. No dog had been brought into the house, and the girls were quite excited, but scared by this new development. Morris heard the barking and whistling, and decided to start asking the poltergeist some questions. Morris himself said if he knew the entity could bark and whistle, it could in all likelihood speak. The barking here is quite extraordinary, actually. We got a dog here. I then said to it, you can whistle. I then, uh, as I said on the tape here, I then said to it, if you can whistle and bark. And- Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. ...grown, then you can talk. And I asked it to actually say my name. I want you to call out my name. My complete name. Morris Gross. See if you can do that. Now that was the first time we heard the voice and since then we've been hearing it again and again. Even more strange activity was being reported now the voices had started. Water pools forming and disappearing from nowhere, excrement appearing in rooms and larger pieces of furniture such as the kitchen table being flipped. On one very active evening the fireplace in the girls bedroom was seemingly ripped out of the wall and the pipe leading into the fire bent upwards. The solid cast-iron fire was said to be so heavy that Morris had trouble lifting it back up once it was flung across the room, something any small child would definitely not be able to do. The family and the poltergeist had now attracted quite the buzz around their story, and people from around the world were dropping by to see if they could help. Paranormal experts from Guy's previous workplace in Brazil came to visit the girls and had a short-lived calming experience on them. The family also had a visit from the infamous Warrens, a married couple who investigated over 10,000 cases of paranormal activity over the years, including the Amityville murder case, now known as the Amityville Horror, and they also claimed a supposedly possessed doll from two roommates called Annabelle, whom they put on show in their Museum of the Occult. Annabelle featured in the film The Conjuring, and has later had two subsequent sequels of her own, unsurprisingly called Annabelle and the most recently released Annabelle Creation. The Warrens said the activity inside the house was unlike any other they'd seen for actual physical activity happening. Lorraine Warren recalled in an interview that she had seen the two girls levitating in the bedroom and floating to such a degree that they crisscrossed over each other as they flew around the room. Janet said in a later interview that she gave as part of the DVD extras for the film The Conjuring 2, of which the Enfield case was the subject, that she felt comforted when Lorraine visited and that she was very kind. 
Other reports from different authors and journalists have said, however, that the Warrens were refused entry into the house as they arrived uninvited by the family. By this time, Janet had been seen frequently levitating, not just by those in the family, Morris and Guy, but also by independent witnesses out on the street who happened to be passing by. One afternoon, a lollipop lady who was getting ready to carry out her usual shift at the school nearby came to collect the large metal sign she used to help children cross the road safely every day, which she stored near the Hodgson's house. As she walked by with a friend, she said she heard a few knocks on the window above. As she looked up, she saw some books hit the window, and soon after, Janet flew past the window horizontally. To try and catch some of the levitation behaviour in action, Graham Morris from the Daily Mirror set up trigger cameras in the girls' bedroom. These caught a large amount of photographic evidence of Janet, but also Margaret being thrown out of bed repeatedly and seemingly hovering in mid-air. To look at the photos, it is hard not to try to work out where the points of contact would be for the starting point of the girls. Jumping from the bed, knees bent and arms up in the air all show logical jumping movements. The strangest photos, however, show Janet with knees bent, in the air, but with her hands down by her sides. I'm not sure about you, but if I was to come crashing down on the floor, I would instinctively put my hands out in front of me to protect myself. Morris said that Janet and Margaret would both be thrown out of the bed numerous times a night, landing awkwardly on top of each other, or sometimes even landing face down. The carpet on the floor of a 70s council house can't have been the most comfortable place to have landed face first. Janet was quite often found to be asleep whilst levitating, or in a trance-like state. One evening, Peggy's brother, John, heard a loud bang come from the girls' bedroom and ran in to see Janet balanced on top of an old radio on top of the chest of drawers. When John spoke to Janet, she was fast asleep and took quite some waking up to get her back into bed. Along with the levitations, the voices were now becoming more frequent, louder, and now consisted of several different people talking. The most common voice was that of Bill, who you heard earlier, who had a very deep, gravelly voice. What happened to you when you died? Just before you died and just after you died? In order to find out if Janet was using trickery with her voices, Guy and Morris asked ventriloquists to check the voices she produced. Ventriloquists were unable to find any way this type of harsh, gruff voice could be used in such a long-sustained way without causing any damage to the throat. Bill would often talk for long periods of time without Janet getting a sore throat, and sometimes the voice would also come through Margaret. When talking about the voices, Janet would often say it felt as if the voice was coming from behind her and not from within, and this was definitely proven when the tests using tape to cover her mouth and also filling her mouth with water were both used without much effect to the voice at all. As the year progressed, the activity seemingly started to become less and less, and the investigations were slowly drawing to a close. The incidents at the home did, however, have a lasting effect on the family. Janet said in an interview she gave to the programme Jane Goldman Investigates in 2003, the first interview she'd given since the events in 1977, 
that she was bullied at school after the stories appeared in the paper and on the TV, and she was given the nickname Ghost Girl. Forty years on, it's easy to look at the Enfield case and say it was all a hoax, but with so much evidence, a score of independent witnesses and tests showing that the girls were indeed not faking the activity, it's hard to refute the occurrences at 284 Green Street. If the case was a hoax, it was one that was kept up for a long amount of time and is seemingly very difficult for adults to replicate. The girls did admit at the time and were caught by Morris faking a small amount of activity which they said accounted for around 2% of the overall recorded evidence. But if the girls did learn to fake the events, how did they obtain the abilities to do so? Magicians couldn't find a way to recreate the events, so how did teenage girls manage to outsmart them? The situation the girls had found themselves in with their mother's divorce must have been incredibly stressful for the whole family and with both of them approaching and going through puberty, this must have been an incredibly unsettling, scary and depressing time for them. Perhaps the activity was caused by projections from the girls, something which latched onto their energy and used their bodies as a way of speaking to the outside world. Having been a teenage girl myself, I can certainly attest to going through puberty as a pretty terrifying, powerful and unnerving thing at the best of times, without an intervention from an unknown spirit at work. Maybe the girls managed to channel their feelings into something that created this spirit, but as they didn't even know what a poltergeist was until Morris explained it to them, it seems hard to believe they were capable of making it up. Perhaps it was again a type of hysteria pertaining to the female form that we've seen many times before in the persecution of so-called witches throughout the ages. An age-old fear from men about what girls become when they transition into adult women, and the only way to explain hormones is down to some evil apparition. The most interesting thing about this case is that after the occurrences had died down, a man came forward and spoke to the press, confirming that his father, Bill, had lived in the house and indeed died from a haemorrhage in the chair downstairs. Coming up next time on Macabre London, we uncover the strange 23-year-long career of a Victorian executioner who was paid to murder alongside his other career as a hairdresser. I'll let you make up your own jokes about slipping with the scissors there. We'll be telling the tale of John Ellis. Join us next time. Don't switch off just yet. We've got some news to tell you. We have a very exciting episode coming out, a crossover episode with the podcast Weird Tales and the Unexplainable. If you don't know Weird Tales and the Unexplainable, it's a fantastic podcast that uh, is hosted by a fella called Bob, uh, some of his co-hosts as well, who look into various different stories and horrifying tales and try and get to the bottom of them in a discussion-style podcast. 
Bob and I went for a little tour around London so I could show him some of the places that I've already told you about in the podcast, but also some different places as well. So the episode will be coming out on Macabre London, one of the parts of the episode anyway, and the other part of the episode will be coming out on Weird Tales and the Unexplainable. I'm hoping that that podcast will come out. We're looking at sort of a mid-September release date, but I just wanted to give you a heads up because it'll be a little bit different from our usual episodes. It won't be a structured episode as we usually do. It's just a nice little chat between me and Bob as I take him around London. So I hope you'll enjoy that. It will be something a little bit different, so um, let me know what you think about it. Um, as usual, you can pop onto Facebook or Twitter, um, just search for Macabre London in Google and you'll find all of our social media links. We've now started a Macabre London Facebook group. Please pop onto that. The way you can do that is to just search. It's a closed group, so sign up to that and we can have some nice discussions about different episodes in there. Um, and as usual, there's Patreon as well if you want to pop onto Patreon um, and support the show there. There's a few different ways um, and rewards that you can get as well if you're interested in that. So um, again, just pop in uh, Patreon and uh, Macabre London into Google and you'll find us. So that was all I wanted to pop on and say to you uh, this time at the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, let me know uh, what you thought on Twitter. I love hearing from you guys um, and it's really nice to get your reviews as well online. If you have friends who are interested in this sort of thing as well, please let them know about the podcast. Um, that's the best way to for me to spread the word um, and for you guys to spread the word as well is to get other people listening to it that way. So thank you for listening and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Macabre London, then why not let us know on Twitter by tweeting at Macabre London. Every review left helps us to be noticed and for the podcast to be discovered by many others. If you'd like to join us on Facebook, search for Macabre London in the top bar, where you can put Macabre London podcast into Google and we should appear. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Macabre London is hosted on Acast and written, performed and produced by me, Nikki Drews, with additional script editing by Neil Murray. Music for each episode can be found in the show's description box on iTunes, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Wow, 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 Merrily, 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 not the country. Now, f- what's my house?